free drop here, no doubt. Yeah, free drop. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. Made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Hello, folks, and happy Sunday evening. Dylan DeChair here from the drop zone, accompanied by Sean Zock, as always. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Sean, who's the biggest winner of the week? Not me, because I'm 0 for 2 on my championship weekend bets. Oh, jeez. Had the Niners with the points, and they got absolutely dominated. Slaughtered. Oh, and then I put all my faith in Joe Burrow, right? Burrowhead. Mm. It's not, not the case. So I'm not the winner of the week. Um, I think the biggest winner of the week is good guys, the good guys, like oh. Max Homa, the good guy. Uh, we don't know if Rory has won the event in Dubai, but he's one of the good guys. Um, but he, And he's winning the event in Dubai by three. So he's probably going to win. Um, so, yeah, biggest winners of the week um, are the guys on the good on the good side. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, certainly a win for kind of the establishment and the nice guys, If if especially if Rory kind of holds off the field. There have been trying and failing to sort of keep track of time zones and tee times and, like, what rounds we're playing this week. Uh, Dubai, yeah. they got delayed Kinda by sweet. a day. Farmers, they finished on Saturday. I mean, the pretty clear winner uh, this week was Max Homa, I would say. It, it was a statement win at Torrey Pines for Max. It felt like, I mean, it just felt like he was by far the best closer in the field. It actually rem- it reminded me a little bit of the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines where once you got going in the fourth round, there were a bunch of guys that were in the mix, a bunch of guys started falling off, and then Max Homa played the role of John Rahm and just held steady, made a bunch of birdies, and hung on tight. Are we allowed to do the thing that I did where I called the good guys the good guys? I don't know. It made me a little uncomfortable, but... <laughs> Why? Um, Because we are neutral journalists, which I think is kind of a stupid thing because neutral, I guess, is actually picking a side in and of itself. Um, right, but well, I think mean, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to... You'd be hard pressed to find people that don't like Max Homa, which actually yeah. like maybe we should we should zig where everyone or we should zag while everyone is zigging and kind of well, like the backlash the begins now. <laughs> you just wrote the cover story on, on the guy for golf <laughs> magazine. So you're going to have to zag even harder. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel bad calling Max Homa the good guy, mostly because I think he has a lot of people's best interests in doing what he does. Uh I think he shares the game with fans in a way that no one else on tour really shares. Like he is, he shows vulnerability. These guys are, are, they feel allergic to showing vulnerability. Just Jordan Spieth doesn't want to talk about the depths of his, uh, you know, 2017 and 2019 self. Um, These, these guys are, are like predisposed to not share their thoughts. And, And Max obviously shares it maybe even too much. Um, but he, he cares about the product that the PGA tour is putting out. Now he's on, uh, the pack, right? He's on the pack. Is yep. that right? Yeah. So he's on, he's on the advisory council and he's, he's got viewing fans at home. Uh, he's got their best interests, right? He puts a earpiece, uh, slash microphone on during the third round on Friday, plays the 13th hole 
um, in a non-perfect way. I think he made par, but had to kind of uh, had to kind of grind out of a weird rules situation. Yeah, and that that was kind of all his doing. It sounded like he he told Nolang up that he was interested in doing things like that more to bring the viewer closer to the aspects of of tour pro golf that people don't see. And so that's why he's a good guy. Someone, um, someone, some like uh, corn fairy tour player tweeted out Max Homa just gets it. And I just looked at the tweet and I was like, gosh, that's it. That's simple. It's so perfect. He really does just get it. He wants pro golf to be seen, heard, felt, uh, experienced in a way um, that is not directly attached to how much money is coming in and coming out. And I, so I really like that. He's a good guy for me. Yeah, he approaches the game from a fan's perspective, but I think this is the lesson of this weekend that that we're learning again. Like when he is in that arena, he is like establishing himself as one of the best closers that there is. Um, I mean, I sent out a couple stats, but this one still blows my mind. He is now finished in the top three 10 times between the Corn Ferry Tour and the PGA Tour. Of those 10 top threes, eight of them are wins. He has never finished second. So he's like the opposite of, you know, when it was uh, Tony and Xander finishing second place seemingly every week for a couple of years there. Max is the opposite of that. He does not finish runner up. He does not have that. And instead, I mean, he's like, if you didn't, if you didn't know that he was the, oh yeah, that guy's so funny on Twitter. He does the swing roast thing. And you just watched him playing like the final round. He looks locked in. He is as serious looking as anybody out there um and then to hit a couple of the shots that he hit i mean there's a couple that stand out for clear reasons but number 16 hitting four iron at a back left pin which is kind of tucked over there you didn't see a lot of guys taking dead aim but just staring that thing down and then dripping his birdie putt just in the front edge was nails i mean that was really really that was cool to watch um, and then on 18, playing with the lead and then pulling out fairway wood, again, going right at the flag, hit it in the perfect spot, ended up on the back edge, two-putted for birdie. Like, it was a master class. Yeah, he's, I don't know if he's like running downhill, but he's definitely jogging downhill uh, now at this point. Like, it's 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 an uphill climb to win on the PGA Tour. And like, until you do it, you don't know if you can do it. He's even expressed uh, that sentiment. And once you do it the first time, I guess people say it gets easier to do it the second time. Once you do it the second time, it gets easier to do it the third time. Now he's done it six times. So it feels like he's kind of got momentum jogging downhill. And if you leave a tour event up for grabs, Max Homa is the kind of guy who's like extremely ready to take it. He's so consistent, so solid. And like this should not have been an event that he could win. John Rahm should have gone out and shot 68 and taking this tournament because that's what John Rahm's been doing lately. If not him, a guy of Tony Finau's firepower and stature should have gone out and taken the tournament, right? But he didn't. Uh, Colin Morikawa, truly, without a doubt, the greatest ball striker since Tiger Woods, and is playing really good golf this year, and is you know he's from Southern California. This should be Colin Morikawa's tournament, but he doesn't go out and take it. Of all people, it's Max Homa who's waiting there, ready to take it. And now that we've seen it happen six times, it makes you feel ready that it's like it's bound to happen a seventh time. 
it feels like it's bound to happen an eighth time. He's he's got so much momentum on these like closing final rounds that you almost expect it to happen another time soon. The interesting thing with well, golfers in general, I guess everyone has different comfort zones, right? And Max has different comfort zones from from most tour players even. I would say a lot of guys struggle when they get in contention and Max, you know, I wrote this golf magazine story on him for for the January issue actually. So good timing. Um, but Max and the people around him say he struggles early in the week. He struggles, uh, he struggles with confidence going into the tournament. So it's like on Tuesday and Wednesday, he's like, man, am I good enough? Like, am I good enough to be here? And then once he gets in the mix, like if he can play well enough to be in the mix on the weekend, that's when, yeah, Mark Blackburn, his coach said, uh, he runs cold. I uh, just said, he said when he gets in contention, he's like a serial killer. He gets a sniff of it, but doesn't get rattled. He's extremely comfortable. Uh, he called it a superpower. And I think that, I mean, you kind of saw it yesterday. It is a superpower. Most guys fold because Sam Ryder was in position. Yeah. He was up four and everyone expected him to fold. Vegas still had him as a, as an underdog to win at that point. Yeah. I just wonder how many people you can say that about. Like, I don't think Max is unique in that sense. I think he's maybe close to unique. Yeah. <laughs> but the only people that you can say that about are for sure top five players. I think JT probably has to be that way. And so if that is a top five player mentality, what an asset for Max Homa, not a top five player, um, to have. Like the kind of player who could – could push into the top five because of that mentality. It's a, a mentality you don't really establish until you kind of get to that top five mark. Like Tony Fino doesn't have it, right? Tony Fino is one of the best players in the world and is is for sure a top 10 player, but I don't think he has that that serial killer mentality like you discussed. And so if, if you're looking at like a Ryder Cup uh, team making and – Max Homa is in the, the nine spot and Finau is in the 10th spot and a guy like Billy Horschel is in the 14th spot. Like how the hell is Max Homa going to be left off your team? He's not gonna, he's going yeah. to be on that team. Like this, the, that's something that people like, um, they attribute to Kevin Kisner, right? A guy who's like really not won all that much on the PGA tour, but he's a, he's a bulldog. You know, he wins matches. We need him on the Ryder cup team. Okay. Max Homa is all those things, but he actually wins stroke play events. Um, so I, mean. I think that, yeah, when you say who else has it, I think people have it in different parts of their game. I mean, yeah, I think we learned back in like college site class. It's like under pressure, people that are great at things are even better and, and, you know, places where you're not confident or you're weaker, then you get worse under pressure. So I think about, you know, Cameron Smith, I feel like last year showed yeah. uh, that under pressure, it's like maybe his driver gets worse and his putter gets even better. Um, <laughs> I think we've seen guys have that killer instinct for stretches where their confidence is high. Um, I mean, Scotty Scheffler was a ridiculous closer last year. And, you know, maybe with time, Max will get in contention more and he won't play well. Um, I mean, certainly there have been places where he's been uncomfortable, where he's made too big a deal out of it, like going into majors. He just hasn't played that well, with the exception of, you know, the PGA Championship last year. He played pretty well. 
But yeah, this is a new guy. He hasn't played really many majors as this level of golfer. Um, there is a major in California this year, the LA Open, and he, four of his six PGA the LA Open now come in California. The LA Open at the US Open. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, man. It's look, it's the we're not we're not confusing this for the US Open, but this was a big win. Yeah. I'm curious. Um Jim Nance was was talking glowingly about Max in regards to the LACC and the US Open. And then Amanda Balionis asked him, Hey, you know, Jim Nance kind of just said, You're definitely one of the favorites at one of the majors this year. And I think I could be completely wrong. He just, he kind of looked like in that really brief moment, like a little impressed by that. And I, <laughs> I'm very, 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 very intrigued at how he would handle a, s- a scenario of being called a favorite or among the favorites. Cause he certainly has never been that since in being in college. Um, and to start the week, like where you said, he said, you know, he, he shows up at a week and he's not always the most confident on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, how does that mesh with being told, no, you're supposed to be confident, dude. You're one of the top three people we expect to play here, uh, play well here. So um, we won't know that until June um, or maybe, you know, May or, or April. But um, he has the not, course record there, which, yeah, which seems like helps. a good sign. Um, I don't yeah. know what his price is right now. But, yeah, it is weird. It's like he's making the transition from it's like an expectations transition. And that's a hard thing for these guys, right, to go from like, Everything is gravy. We don't dog you if you play poorly, but we praise you if you play well. That's mm-hmm. still where he's been. And now he is he's placing yeah. himself in that zone of all right, if you're not winning, then people ask what's wrong with you. It's like they're yeah. like Rom and Morikawa. And, what's wrong with John Rom? Yeah. Why why didn't Rom win yesterday? I don't know. Why didn't he? Uh I don't know. You want to talk about it? <laughs> uh I think that was such a weird scenario where the three players in that final threesome, Sam Ryder, John Rahm, Tony Finau, were the only three players in the top 12 who've shot over par on Saturday. Now, uh, at some point, you're just adding a, an extra 25% to your like tournament uh, sample size. So like the best players are going to have low scores in the final round. But that was shocking, and I think – um, I think they dragged each other down, don't you think? It's a scenario where c- there could be lifelessness, uh, yeah. or it could be, you know, Joe, Joel Damon told us about this um, in the final round of the third round or the third round final pairing with Morikawa at Brookline. Like they were playing slow, they were not playing well. They got you know a hole behind. It got cold. And they didn't like where they were at on the course and no one was really, you know, cheering them on. And they were, you know, fans were actually flocking away from their final pairing and it's not a great vibe. And so they didn't play good golf. And I think that kind of same thing happened at Torrey Pines. Yeah. And it was a compelling pairing because (laughs) I mean, talk about even physically imposing Tony Finau and John Rahm being in the same group, tracking down Sam Ryder going into the day. That was really interesting. But instead what happened is they just both stumbled. Uh, Rahm made a a really kind of ugly double bogey at number five. Finau made an ugly double bogey at number eight. Ryder was hanging in there to his credit. Um, Where it could have gone wrong, it it 
he just kind of hung on tight. Seven and eight, he made bogeys. Fifteen, he ended up making a, a double that kind of changed everything. But yeah, I mean, Fino and Rom play together at home all the time. Um, I talked to Tony on. I was I was in and out. I was there for like thirty six hours down at Torrey Pines. But I talked to Tony after his second round, and he had just hit a sweet approach shot into number nine on the north course, which is a par five. He'd made birdie on the last hole to make the cut. Like he had needed to make birdie on the final hole, made the cut on the number. And uh, anyway, I was just asking him about what's going on at home. Is he in Arizona? Is he in Utah? And he was saying, yeah, well, he gets to play with John Rahm a lot. And then sure enough, final round pairing, they were together. I thought, well, maybe that's a good comfy pairing, but it didn't obviously work out that way. Yeah. Uh, should we make any big deal out of Rahm not getting it done? So... One interesting thing that Rom said after his first or after his second round, which was really good after his first round was not so good. Uh, I asked him if it had been asked him what part of it had been exhausting or if it had been exhausting winning and then having this quick turnaround. And he said every part of it. He said, basically, I am exhausted. He took a not so subtle shot at the fact that they reinstated a pro-am on Tuesday ahead of a Wednesday start, which they didn't have last year. So he was clearly not happy about that. So okay, there's probably dude, don't play the event for... then. Like, like, give yeah. me a break. <laughs> to, please, please. I know that there are execs in PGA tour land uh, that are annoyed as hell at that comment because well, man, we've spent the last year talking about how the hell you raise purses and how we make bigger purses on the PGA tour and everything more valuable for sponsors and for TV contracts. And John Rahm, part of that is playing in a pro-am, my guy. With Gareth Bale, I should add. It actually yeah. looked, like he had a, looked like he had a great time in real time. He said he had a great time. He was playing yeah. with Gareth Bale, Michael Collins, and literally talked about it in uh, his post-round press conference and said, yeah, that was delightful. That was, that was if, if I could play in pro-ams like that, I, I really would love to. Like, okay. Yeah. I guess so. my only point coming out of that is that, you know, he's probably wiped. And going back to the well after shooting 67, 66, it just doesn't always work out. Um, and it can you, definitely can didn't you help work me out understand why these guys get so exhausted? I think just mentally, I mean, you've you've played enough rounds of 18 hole golf on camera, nonetheless. You know, tired out by the end. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's fully to to blame for him not playing well on Sunday. It just seems like a very, very convenient excuse um, for any bad play. Oh, I'm just, I'm just exhausted. Like, were you exhausted on Saturday when you shot 66 or, or 67 on on um, on Friday and Thursday? Like, uh, it's it's too convenient for me, Dylan, and I don't like it. I appreciate your skepticism. It's like, okay, yeah, well, were you tired on on Wednesday when you shot 73, but not tired on? Thursday when you shot 67. So, yep. yeah, I mean, mechanically or it's like what happened to John Rahm on Sunday? Well, he hit it in the fairway bunker left of number five. And then he tried to do something and it didn't work. And he ended up in jail. And then he kind of compounded the problem. And then he made double bogey and he never really righted the ship. And it was a really hard day. And he just didn't make as many birdies as Max Homa. So, that's really kind of what happened. There were a few guys <laughs> that played well. Max played well. Jason Day played well. 
Keegan Bradley played really well. Uh, and most other people were right around par. Like John Rom kind of shot roughly a, a field average final yeah. round. It just felt like going in, he was going to win. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Keegan. Yeah, you want to talk about it? I think I think I am comfortable. I know you've been comfortable about this for a long time, but I think yeah. I'm comfortable adding him to the people, the list of people we need to monitor regarding the Ryder Cup. Yes. I'm just comfortable adding him to the list for potential Ryder Cup captain's pick. Um, he needs it, to be invited to the barbecues on <laughs> Tuesday afternoons at, you know, Waste Management. Memorial. <laughs> yeah. Um, like you, you can see some, like, some Instagram stories of Captain Zach and the, the boys. Keegan will be back there. Maybe in the corner of the photo, but he's going to be yeah. there for sure. He is. He's a... If you count the list, you just look at the Americans, you look at the world golf rankings and the data golf rankings, and you look for that American flag, and then you X out all the guys who have committed to live golf. He's a top 20 <laughs> yeah. American right now. He's a top 20 American. Yep. And that's where you want to be. Look, he, no one is going to act like he'll ever be a top eight American. I but mean, you just, you, you know, you just don't try me, Sean. <laughs> try me. <laughs> You just need to get yourself into the top 15 to 20 and try to be playing good golf between June and August. He was impressive. He almost won this tournament. He almost won this <laughs> tournament from absolutely nowhere. If he gets up and down on 18 and posts 12 under, all of a sudden things look very different. And uh, now Max is coming to 18 tied for the lead instead mm -hmm. of instead of up one and then I mean, who knows what happens, but where, where everyone else was backing up, he was just surging. He didn't make a bogey on Sunday. Um, the crazy thing is he led the field in strokes gained putting. He was ridiculous putting on the weekend. And that has been, he's always sort of said, it's, it's like Phil used to say, you know, if I can, if I can, uh, put it average, or I think in Phil's case, it was like, if I can hit fairways at an average rate, I'm going to be able to contend. Um, yeah, Keegan gaining seven and a half shots on the field putting on just on Saturday and Sunday. Oh, well, that's maybe that's not fluky. sustainable, but uh, <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, so I wrote down on my notes here, uh, mostly in regards to Ricky Fowler, because you decided you wanted to talk about him. Mm -hmm. um, the difference between Keegan and Ricky is a lot right now, and that goes without saying. But in terms of like a Ryder Cup player, Keegan is is great at ball striking really good off the tee really good to the green like that is something you can hang your hat on and if you are the difference between you know being in uh the 16th player uh in the Ryder cup rankings and maybe someone who's 20th but it can actually hang their hat on something can say i'm damn good at this part that's why or that's how the analytics dudes sign you up for the Ryder cup they say okay Let's talk about alternate shot. Who would be great to pair with, uh, I don't know, <laughs> Cam Young or Will Zalatoris or something. You yeah. try to create, you try to create this like um, Frankenstein ball striker um, in alternate shot. And, and you know what? Yeah. Let's make it a 20 foot putting contest. We like our odds with these guys hitting every single green in regulation. Ricky Fowler by comparison is not great at any one thing. Ricky Fowler is good at a lot of things tour average at 
a lot of things, great at nothing. That's where he stands right now. And um, I know that's not like a really relevant comparison um, at this state, but when people will slander Keegan, just if you're a smart drop zone listener, just know that it's he's in a discussion for a reason because he hits the ball in the center of the face and he hits it very straight. I think that people, yeah, people are maybe envisioning some sort of angsty aim point happening during team <laughs> matches down the stretch. But yeah, Ricky, couple encouraging things. I mean, his new looking swing has gotten a bunch of attention. Uh, he had a really good week in terms of uh, approach play. His iron game has been way better so far this season than it has been the last several years. So that's encouraging. He had a really good week on the greens. He's been struggling putting. Um, so that's a good sign. There's also, I feel like, a, a short list of players where if you hear that they have been to see Butch Harmon, you just got to like bet the house. Like they just need, and actually, I I mean I think Rory and Spieth may both be on that list. Just like you know, oh yeah, we're not officially working together. I just stopped by and got one <laughs> simple tip or like one little boost of confidence. And Ricky is now it sounds like working with Butch full time. Um, so there's just a little Butch boost there. Yeah, I'm and sure also the maybe listening could be skeptical of that, but <laughs> yeah. Well, any of the uh, the tour players listening who who also visit Butch. Don't leave Butch. It's only it's only horror stories when guys think that they are too good for Butch Harmon or becomes too much of a big deal to fly to Vegas to see Butch at uh, his academy. Stop giving up on Butch Harmon. Like, he is he might be the greatest <laughs> coach of all time. King Midas, man. That touch. Yeah. So I don't know. Is Ricky Fowler does he, does he have a chance at making this year's Ryder Cup team? No, because he's not great at any one thing. Yeah. Okay. Like I discussed. Are you monitoring? No. Not at this point. Nope. Jason Day, it seems like he just gets a little shot of life whenever he shows up at Torrey Pines. There's like a few places. Memorial seems to play well there too. If Jason Day plays good golf in Florida, he'll have my attention. Until then, nope. Torrey Pines, man, I, people will say what they will say, but... There was a moment where this leaderboard went from really pretty suspect through a couple rounds to uh, Saturday's round or Friday's third round. It was like the cream started to rise to the top and suddenly it was Sam Ryder ahead of ahead of basically if you looked at the odds list at the start of the week and looked at all the favorites, it pretty much looked like that starting the final round. So what do you mean when when you say people will say what they say? People dump on Tory Pines. And I don't want to I don't want to align with not dumping on Torrey Pines because God, that piece of property is unbelievable and the golf course has a a bunch of uninspiring stretches. It's okay. It feels like it should be great and then in, you play it and you don't feel like you experienced greatness. Um, but it really prioritizes hitting the ball well and uh, yeah, I, I was there on Thursday afternoon. So after the second round and people were just hanging out like people play finished. It's kind of a funny thing. They're going off both courses. So everyone finishes kind of at a similar time, but there was a little dead time before the sunset, but after everyone had finished playing and it was like, I am, I am not making the St. Andrews comparison here, but it was that feeling of people <laughs> just milling around the golf course 
after play had finished because it's just such a cool place to be. They were walking down by the cliffs and along the holes and uh, just like soaking it in. It was a nice sunny afternoon. It's always cold there, but it was a good sunny day. Um, and you were by yourself. I was by myself. Is that is that like a tougher scene to soak in when you're kind of just doing it alone? Um, yeah. I mean, I guess. <laughs> although, I guess if you're just sort of if you're, I think the tough thing to do, just kind of as a guy, just being around, is just if you're just by yourself and you're just sort of standing there. <laughs> but if you're just always in motion, if you look like you're walking somewhere, then it's all good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. We're used and to spending is, a fair amount of time. This is Dylan's so inner monologue on Friday afternoon. Yeah, yeah, you're not, you're not weird, man. <laughs> you're, you're not being weird. Uh, um, cool. What do you think cool. of CBS? CBS getting a lot of praise. <clears throat> I thought it was awesome that Max Homa played the 13th hole, mic'd up. Uh, there were some, uh, I mean, very, very, very basic audio issues that think could be addressed um don't want to nitpick there yeah um trevor emmelman had a good start i think i think it was i think it was good i don't think it was uh the the quote tour de force that uh other people were talking about online but that kind of shows where golf broadcasts are uh golf broadcasts are slow to move they need to be brought along they need max homa tossing around ideas Um, they need Trevor Immelman to be a shot of life compared to what Nick Faldo was. And I think it is a good start on that pursuit, but, uh, I don't like it's people want a lot from their broadcasts and there's a lot of different things that can upset people and make other people happy at the same time. And so the best broadcast will just sprint right down the middle and bring in smart things um, like Trevor Immelman and Max Homa. More of that, if possible. You want to go to Dubai? You ready to talk about the insane content week coming out of the Middle Could East? Be, yeah, it might have been the dumbest event of the year. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's that's probably fair. I mean, a couple dumb events, but also sort of like unbelievable events, especially this latest rules thing, which Brandel just went in on, um, on golf central, like, you know, probably an hour ago as literally nobody was watching because everyone was watching the, uh, chiefs Bengals game. But so I've got, I've got, where some do you want to start here? I've got some suspicions. So basically yeah. what happened, what happened is that Patrick Reed walked across the driving range with his hands straight out to shake Rory's hand to say hi to Harry Diamond. Rory was crouching, doing something, lining up a tee shot, working on the simula- uh, his uh, track man or something. I don't know what. Rory was toward near the ground. Harry Diamond was upright. Patrick Reed shakes Harry's hand, keeps his hand out for Rory. Rory doesn't turn to him. And then Reed very quickly gives up and uh, starts walk away looks back very softly tosses a T in his direction. And that was the lead story of every golf website of the week. And, um, it's impossibly stupid. And I feel confident in saying that I never at one point got too excited about this thing. I would just immediately started calling it dumb online because that's what it was. But my suspicion, Dylan, 
is rooted in the timeline. Mm-hmm. On, I believe it was on Tuesday that a Twitter account tweeted out a breakdown, or it was a um, there was an article that broke down what happened. So it's only text, no photos, no videos, yes. no yep. visuals of what happened. That was on Tuesday, and you know the screenshots that flew around online were of the headline. Um, which was um, very basic and in that sense kind of sensationalized the, the true nature of what had happened. And so that happened on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, we actually got the footage from the exact same account that had written it up. And so it felt very purposeful that the, the account and brand that saw this happen clearly had video of it happening Mm. wrote about it, pushed it out there, got 24 hours worth of referral traffic, and then showed us the video that truly was a nothing burger. Um, It was just... All right, but to kind of poke holes in this, it was the video that really made it take off, right? It was the video and the reaction to it. I I don't think so. I think that this became a bit of a story a day prior to the video when when people were like, what is going on in Dubai? Mm. Uh, now, it got, it be, it, it, the, the video might've been kerosene on, a, on the fire that had already been lit. I guess, um, yeah. All right, so yeah, to your point, I guess it was, the key was that the text was out there and then they got asked about it or Rory got asked about it. And then I don't, that's where the timeline breaks down a little bit for me, whether he was asked about it before the video came out. I think he was because he mm-hmm. was inevitably going to. And then it was like his comments accompanying the video coming out made it a bigger plus, thing. Plus Patrick Reed's comments. Plus Patrick Reed's comments. Both of them, neither of them went out of their way to, well, it's funny. Both of them had the instinct to say, yeah, it was literally nothing. This I can't believe this is a story. Both of them also just could not resist the urge to just leave it at that. Um, and they kind of poured fuel in the fire. Yes, which is why... I get so upset as a golf media member when people lump all of golf media together and get upset that this has become a story of the week. When in reality, yeah, this is a story. Rory's pissed off that he got subpoenaed on Christmas Eve. Patrick Reed's lawyer is the one doing that. There is some loose connection between the two players. Also, Rory is the PGA Tour king. Patrick Reed has gone to live golf. There is angst between these two people. It happened to explode in the sense of an article and a video that really weren't that big of a deal. But the story is bigger than the T, the yes. T-gate. And so if anyone is upset that we are covering this angst, you you can miss me with that emotion. You sound like you're getting a little <laughs> defensive here. Well, it, yeah, there is nothing bigger in the world of professional golf right now than the PGA Tour and Live Golf. And you know what? Some of the figureheads, some of the people, they come together at these events on the European Tour. And so what happened? Luke Donald was playing with Henrik Stenson. People were worried if Rory and Reed would be paired together. Like, this is a story. It might not be our favorite story, but it is a story and we can't ignore it. It speaks to the larger theme. Yeah. I mean, we don't see, 
I think because this is playing out live versus the PGA tour, it's playing out um, on such a grand scale, but we don't really get daily manifestations of it. Like we don't, we don't really, we don't see it playing out person to person. Like we don't see it playing out on that granular level and it's still golf, right? We're not going to see guys getting in each other's faces. And if it happens, it's, behind closed doors like you know the story of Sergio popping off in the uh locker room at a DP World Tour event at the at guys that were still playing that circuit it's unlikely we're going to get video of this sort of thing very often so i guess when we do see it and it's like oh man this actually this is happening and this is like sort of what it looks like and there are so many layers to it and i think that there's understandable confusion because of what Rory said and Patrick Reed is not suing Rory, to be clear, but Patrick Reed's lawyer has brought a lawsuit against the PGA Tour, and then this is uh, Rory. Rory got served um, in that <laughs> yeah, lawsuit. Yeah, he did. <laughs> on Christmas Eve, Rory got served at 3.50 p.m. at his home uh, on Christmas Eve. So, yeah, I think it's pretty reasonable that Rory would associate Patrick Reed's lawyer with Patrick Reed, even though it's a different lawsuit. And I think it's uh, reasonable that when he's working on the range, he's not going to want to talk to Patrick Reed. I would have probably liked it even more if Rory told Patrick Reed what he, what he thought about the fact that Reed was coming over to pretend things were all good. Sure. Um, But ignoring is probably the prudent move, I guess, in some other ways. Yeah. I think he's, I think he's over it. I think Rory's going to battle some exhaustion this year. You know, he's got a lot on his shoulders. Well, he's he's had a lot on his shoulders. He's done well with that, um, but I think he's just going to run out of patience for the questions. Right? We're, we're going to yeah. be in LA in a couple of weeks, and that's going to be the one year anniversary of Rory saying to the media, "Oh, it's kind of dead in the water, isn't it?" Yeah, you know, kind of dunking on Phil Mickelson uh, in a moment when. It was easy to. Um, Rory should stop. He should. He should just moratorium temporary no, 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 suspension no, 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 no. talking about this stuff. I think he I'm, should. Well, I'm not saying I want him to, but I would because <clears throat> it's not in the tour's best interest for him to stop talking entirely. He needs to be stop a leader. talking entirely. But it's just tough because I think he gets asked about this stuff constantly. So then he gets asked about it again because he gives good answers, and then it gets into the the cycle of making headlines and then it's and then like live pros or people that are inclined to like roll their eyes at Rory get more opportunities to do so because he's constantly in that news cycle. The and other I thing think he's been great at it, but I think, yes. you know, he, he could, he could stand to take a deep breath, not because he's done anything wrong in my opinion, just because of the way the ecosystem works. Um, that you know he could get his name out of like out of that cycle for a second. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's tough is he's a European. It's a Ryder Cup year. A lot of the questions surround European players that are on live and their desires sneaky to still be in the running for the Ryder Cup. So everywhere Rory goes, the questions are about that. And they're also about the PGA Tour. And they're about the Players' Championship and the Majors. And Rory is a, he's an ombudsman on all topics. Uh, he, he, he can go there on everything. You know, 
who we can't really ask about live golfers in the Ryder Cup, Justin Thomas, uh, especially European players. Like Justin Thomas doesn't give a damn if Lee Westwood's eligible to be in in the European side of the Ryder Cup. And I don't, I don't think I'm sure he does have an opinion, but it's not necessarily in his best interest to to go any further. It's kind of in Rory's best interest at times, since he is the bona fide leader of both sides, both the European Ryder Cup team and the PGA Tour, that he kind of has to stick his flag as far out as and and kind of defend it. Um, and so, you know, if he goes quiet, even if you think that that's a good thing for him. I just don't think the questions stop. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it just comes down to there's going to be a hell of a lot of pressure for him to win the Masters. Anything else is going to feel like a slight disappointment. Yeah. Like Tiger has been, in, Tiger has shouldered some of that attention the last couple of years, or Rory hasn't been as much in form. So there's been a little bit less attention. But man, if he's still world number one when we get to Augusta, sheesh. Um, yeah. Well, that sounds like a good time to at least break up this episode and tell people that we're going to do a second pod this week, right? Yes, we're doing it. What's it going to be on? The best players in the world, Sean. We're ranking them. John Rahm will not be number one in the world this week, but he might be in the drop zone rankings. We're going to do a special ranking, the top 30. It's going to be a lot of fun to listen to, and it's going to be the second episode of the week. Uh, So it'll come out in a couple days. Something Dylan and I are going to try to do a lot more of this year is just give you guys some more audio content. Yeah, we want to be in your ears uh, besides just doing you know weekly recaps. And that's that'll be a good way to sprinkle in rankings, some interviews, um, some different formats that that fall outside. Just, you know, breaking down what's going on in the world and what happened in the past week. All right. How do we want to wrap up today? You want to talk about the CW? Yeah, I've been thinking more about this CW Sean, I think it's interesting. I think I see that there is a potential, there's a potential worst case scenario for Liv here where they are creating a watered down PGA Tour. And like, I don't want to shortchange Liv for the impact they've created, the disruption they've caused. They have changed professional golf, they have changed the PGA Tour. They have made a massive difference already. And you're seeing a bunch of that change. But the the further we get from like this YouTube era and the more we get to, yeah, live will be on, on the CW app and then it'll be on, you know, most CW stations, depending. I feel like we're getting more stroke play golf on TV on the weekends. And there is just... Not really hit, that much. You hit your fill on that. There's not really that much evidence that there's demand for additional stroke play golf tournaments. And I know that the shotgun start thing is different and the team thing is different. And, but, and I guess we put the team thing and the money thing in one box because I think those are actual sort of differentiators. I mean, the money is tremendous and maybe people will watch because that's interesting because they're playing for so much money. I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical of that. Then there's the team thing which has a ton of promise because that is a real differentiator, but it's almost been de-emphasized the way the money and the points are distributed. Like it's, it's just not nearly as important as the individual competition. So yeah, you're still then stuck with a bunch of individuals playing stroke play golf. Then the other big differentiator is that you're wrapping up with a shotgun start or you're playing a shotgun start every day. 
I think the shotgun start is cool the first couple days. I think in the final round, I mean, you could make an argument that it's fun in a different way for sure, but I think you are losing out by not having the final groups go in order. So I think that you're missing like a potential winning moment happening on the 18th green. Like there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of drawbacks to having a shotgun start in your final round. And I don't think there's enough advantages to make that like a clear W for live. So I don't know. I just feel like we're getting to this era where Jay Monahan called it product versus product now. Yeah. You wrote about and, that. And live has... Liv's product feels like it's getting closer to the PGA Tour with this CW deal and with this fact that it's it's going to be just competing kind of head-to-head with the PGA Tour product. And I guess that I just don't necessarily see the path to financial viability through a very similar yeah, format. That's fine by me, man. That's fine by me. I actually like where we're at because of exactly what you said. You wrote about it, product versus product. This gives fans more of a chance to actually holistically line these things up against each other. Man versus man. Who's playing on that CW thing? Who's playing on that CBS thing? Who's contending on each side? What events are being played and and what courses are fun to watch? Like It's going to be happening at the same time for a lot of these events. You'll be able to use that return button on your channel changer and (laughs) Like, you're going to be able to decide, is Peter Uline going against Dustin Johnson and Honor Bon Lahiri? Is that getting me kind of excited? Yeah. When it's happening in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma? Or am I more inclined to see if Tony Finau can win by eight in Detroit? Um, Like, where is the entertainment golf happening? Is Arlo White more invigorating as a broadcaster than Jim Nance is is Jerry Fultz endless lines of bullshit worse than Trevor (laughs) Immelman like well and we'll see what it's like this year like there's so much we still don't know about this year and the how the schedule is going to play out and the timing of it all but we now know don't you think we know (laughs) I think we know everything all right we know most of it but there will be weeks where Liv has a a similar strength, similarly strong field to the PGA tour because they are targeting some of those weaker events, but yeah, do they have enough to, it just doesn't feel like this multi mega billion dollar product at the second. And I'm curious if, if that, if there's going to be some urgency for it to look like that pretty soon, I don't know if there was going to be urgency, it should have happened in November, December. I think that's why there are multiple executives that have left live golf in the last three or four months. If the the Detroit rocket mortgage classic is taking place and Ben Griffin is leading and Phil Mickelson is in the top three in the CW event, (laughs) the live event Mm. um, happening wherever it's happening. I don't know that week. What'll be uh, what event will be taking place. People are going to watch Phil Mickelson. Like that's that's where we're at, Dylan. And I think that you outline why that annoys you because it's just like another PJ Tour-esque thing that you have to pay attention to. Um, it might not be straightforward, but... I would, no, I, would, I want to be clear. This is not something that I'm saying is annoying me. I'm just saying for whatever reason, it hit me this week that that these things are more similar than they are different. And I think that they're becoming increasingly so. And I think in some ways the YouTube 
version of Live had some clear advantages. There were no commercial breaks. It just buzzed around all the time and everyone had access to it. And I think now you're sliding into more of a, I mean, the CW is interested in adding programming for, for older viewers. And that's like, I think part of the appeal for them in doing this deal, it just feel, it doesn't, it doesn't feel as different as uh, we've been led to believe. And I think that could be a real issue for live. Yeah, sure. So I think that's fine. That's fair. And I think you're onto something. Then the buck stops with Bryson and Brooks and DJ and Cam. These people that would make other people turn their channel. Like Liv's $100 million men, they need to buck up and play good golf because Bryson hasn't played good golf with Liv yet. Cam Smith played good golf for like one to two events and then hasn't played that actually that well in the rest of the live events he played in. Phil Mickelson needs to try and win one of these damn things. I know he's trying, but he's not doing it. Sergio Garcia, he has never once contended in a serious way that you thought he might win a live event. I know we uh, there's been such disdain towards actually like watching and treating the golf as golf, but mm-hmm. you, you can't be letting Eugenio Chikara win your <laughs> event when these professionals are supposed to be so damn good that they're worth $150 million signing bonuses. Yeah. And so... Uh, I think you're right, and uh, we'll. S- What's tricky? I've got is- you thinking. I like this. I feel well, good about this. <laughs> yeah, you just we need to see the product turn up a notch, and yeah. um, like you said, if you know they've done a really good job of picking the weeks in which the PGA Tour's best players might not necessarily be playing. They're going to be playing during the John Deere Classic and during the Honda Classic and um, during the Volspar Championship. And those will be weeks in which you would actually consider using your remote to change the channel to the CW. And so if you if what you find on the CW is Bryson and Brooks dueling, that's a live victory. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people have access to the CW. And we'll see how it plays out with the local channels. And But I think that would be the easiest counterpoint. And the reason that this could be huge news for live is if it somehow harnesses the fact that this is in a lot of households. Sure. And people want to watch golf on the weekends and they're going to flip over to the interesting golf, which could be happening on live. I don't want to ignore that. All right. Let's, uh, let's wrap up with our up and down series, huh? All right. Sean, who's up? Who's down? Tiger Woods is up. Ooh. You, you may not have heard anything about Tiger Woods this week, but Tiger Woods is up indirectly because every time one of the post-Tiger era players like John Rahm ascend to their peak where they look unbeatable, where they look like it's obvious they're going to win and they don't, Tiger looks stronger because Tiger would have won out and and won Torrey Pines in John Rahm's shoes. Tiger would have started two days or two strokes behind Sam Ryder and would have intimidated Sam Ryder into shooting 75 and Tiger would have gone out and hit the middle of the fairway, hit the middle of the green and won himself another PGA tour event. I think tiger is up because every time he got into this position where he could flex and be greater, um, than people even thought he did. John Rom had a chance to be greater than we thought. And he didn't, and it's just an impossible standard, but, um, it makes tiger look better. I like that. I really do. We already talked about him, but I was really going to just shout out Keegan Bradley in this space 
Keegan is up. He played a tremendous round on Sunday. He's coming. Uh, people are going to get sick of Keegan quickly if we talk any more about, about it. So um, I'll just leave you with that. Who is down, Sean? Phil Mickelson is down. Mm. If Tiger's up, Phil has to be down. Hopefully I'm not taking yours, but Phil Mickelson's he's down. He's tweeting. How can he be down <laughs> when he's on the, on the net? Because of how he because of how he's tweeting, Dylan. He's one, you know, he's not playing in the San Diego tour event, which we didn't expect him to be, but that's his hometown. That's where he's from. Phil has always been beloved by fans in in Torrey Pines, and he's not there this week. Um, he's probably already in the Middle East, in Saudi Arabia, for next week's event where he's playing at Saudi International, and he's tweeting about the PGA Tour. Why are you playing on live and tweeting about the PGA Tour? Tweeting about Sam Ryder's joggers and tweeting about Rory's three-shot lead in Dubai and going all caps on Dubai and pointing out that it's in the Middle East and talking about Golf Channel. These are just weird tweets um, from Phil Mickelson who just doesn't need need to be on social media anymore. It made me think of... uh, you know that that Michael Jordan kind of meme where he's like doing a promo that's like anti-drugs and Michael mm-hmm. Jordan just says, stop yeah, it, yeah. get some help. Stop it, Phil, <laughs> get some help. Stop tweeting. It's funny, when I saw that Rory tweet, my first thought was like, did Phil get like Magic Johnson's guy to take over <laughs> tweeting? Because, you know, it took a second to kind of see the subtext. Hey, I'll tell you one thing. Very obvious, but Phil Mickelson's management company, his management company, Sport Five, and mm-hmm. they're looking to hire a uh, golf social media person to handle a lot of their clients. So maybe, maybe, maybe it's because you're, you've given up the position. <laughs> no, you're trying but to tell it, just, our listeners just felt, it felt odd that I found that come across LinkedIn. It's like, oh, hey, they're looking for someone to come here and send tweets on players' behalfs. Um, and one of them could be Phil Mickelson, John Rahm, and the rest of the Sport 5 squad. Who else is down? Uh, I mean, this this almost feels like a cheap shot, but Taylor Montgomery um, is just down relative to how he has been because this guy was just churning out top 10 finishes contending basically every week and then he was right there in the mix through two rounds and just vanished on the weekend um this is a guy who's playing in his rookie year on the pga tour he is the front runner to win rookie of the year at this very early date but we have high expectations these days we want guys to graduate quickly um and taylor montgomery just didn't really do that didn't really didn't really show up on the weekend um, guy, I chatted with him for a little bit, extremely friendly guy. And I'm sure he has very bright, bright future ahead, but 75, 75 on the weekend just sort of stuck out as, um, as a guy that went from, you know, right at the top of the leaderboard to T31 disappointing rec league, Sean, let's finish it off with some recommendations. What do you got? I have the highest recommendation for a HBO show called game theory. You ever watch Ooh. it? No. It's Bomani Jones show. Um, I think it's, well, it's one of the best things that HBO does in regards to sports. It's just a half an hour uh, show in which Bomani goes off and rants about things and breaks them down in ways that uh, you wouldn't expect. And I think he is one of the best people in sports media at doing that. Um, I I am always impressed at the takes he comes up with and he is the king of zagging when others are zigging 
And uh, I know that at some point he's going to do something on lift golf. He just has to. Last year he did a big presentation uh, on his show about Augusta National. And I know the people at Augusta National were not thrilled about it, which is mm-hmm. the whole point, man. That's the whole point. Being a cynic and and calling things out that they're that are wrong. And I think the civil war in pro golf is just ripe sitting there for Bomani to take it and dunk on it. And I think uh whether or not that happens, you still like game theory. My rec is to head over to Brandel Shambly's. Uh, Twitter page or head to the golf channel website and find this video of Brandel kind of going in. I, I kind of wrote a story the other day of just, here's the backstory basically behind this Rory and Reed thing. Brandel is now going in on this sketchy drop that Reed took from a tree in Dubai. And it is like, if you like early season, petty golf, mini drama, this is just right up your alley. This is a man being sued by Patrick Reed. That's Brandel. Um, breaking down the footage frame by frame and uh, dissecting what appears to be Reed. Taking a drop from a from the wrong tree. It could have been a lost ball. Instead, it turned into an unplayable lie. Just another like bizarre twist in this week in golf in Dubai. So, yeah. Go check that out. That was like Zabruder-esque, the way Brandel is going in on like, rewind, no, fast forward, no, rewind. <laughs> All right, bring it back a little bit. Where is this ball? It's going into the first tree, not yeah. the third tree. What did Reed say? Uh, definitely a good recommendation from Dylan. Check it out. God, Sean, it's nice to be it's nice to be back. It feels like this was the week always that Tiger would make his debut. So in some ways, I still associate like farmers with the first big golf week of the year the golf season has a million starts and a million finishes but this is this is one of those fun get starts. ready for some spice coming out of saudi arabia the saudi international this week better field than pebble probably does it probably hmm. stay tuned Maybe not um, literally. guys thanks for listening we appreciate the hell out of you we'll see you in a couple days 